Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And of course, there's no better way to do that than by sharing a lively, information-packed adventure book with your grandchildren. So today's show is going to be especially fun. Our guest, Crispin Boyer has written more than 20 books for National Geographic kids, and these are filled with topics that young readers find fascinating. In fact, his nonfiction books have run the gamut from bugs to sharks and from ninjas to knights in shining armor. But Crispin joins us today to share all about the second book in his fictional series, Zeus the Mighty. This one's called Zeus the Mighty, The Maze of the Menacing Minotaur. Obviously, I love the title. So welcome, Crispin. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on on your show. Yes. Well, first off, before we begin, I want to congratulate you on this delightful series. It is such a fun read, no matter what your age is. Uh, You refer, of course, to a lot of Greek mythology. And I want to begin by noting that the story takes place in a pet shop named Mount Olympus Pet Center, which, of course, is located atop a high hill in Athens, Georgia. It is so much fun. (laughs) Anyway, Crispin, let's start by you giving us an overview of of the story and a little bit about Zeus and his fellow pet shop adventurers. Sure. I mean, you did such a great job giving an overview right there, but I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it, it's set in, in, in uh, Athens, Georgia, in Mount Olympus Pet Center. It's a pet rescue center that's run by a woman named Artie. She is a huge fan. The only thing that she loves more than rescuing animals is Greek mythology. And she has named all of her favorite rescues after Greek gods, and starting with Zeus, who is a hamster, a tiny hamster with a giant <laughs> ego. Now, uh, what Artie doesn't know is that her, anim- her love of mythology has rubbed off on her animals. Not- and then not only do they love Greek mythology, they actually believe that they are Greek gods and goddesses. So Zeus thinks that he actually is Zeus. And then you've got Athena, the cat. She's the goddess of wisdom. You've got Ares, who's a little pug, who's the god of war. He's always causing trouble. He just runs around, <laughs> causes chaos, and he's not slobbering everywhere. You've got Poseidon, the pufferfish, who's the lord of the oceans. And, of course, that's the aquarium section. And he butts heads with Zeus because Zeus thinks he's king of everything, whereas Poseidon is like, obviously, the water is my domain, so stay out. And he travels – Poseidon can travel with – the land animals, he travels around in a little dive helmet with an air hose. And then finally we have Demeter, who's a little grasshopper, who is Zeus's best friend and kind of his, his uh, moral compass, his conscience. He's like Jiminy Cricket or the angel on his shoulder because Zeus has a big ego and it's not, doesn't necessarily serve the best interests of the group. So every night they go on different adventures that are inspired by Greek mythology. And as you said, it's a way to – kind of sneak in some, some education for, for young readers uh, as, they, as they read this engaging story about the animals and their, their nightly adventures. Well, talk about engaging. It truly is. And it's not necessarily for young readers because I enjoy it myself. But you, uh, but you do have a certain age group in mind. Is there a target audience that you're thinking of particularly when you, when you were writing the stories? Uh, yeah, it's it's around eight to twelve years old, but I'm happy to hear that you enjoyed reading it. I mean, I I'm I feel like I'm a big kid, so I I certainly have a great time. And I I think that 
you know, a story can really appeal to any age as long as it's, uh, you know, it's entertaining. So I really appreciate hearing that from you. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm a tiny bit older than 8 to 12, so I will give, I'll just give that, put that out there right now. But okay. the other thing I want to mention is in addition to the references to Greek mythology and, of course, Greece itself, ancient Greece itself, you you don't talk down to your readers. I thought that was great. I mean, the, some of the words I noted, soothsayer, labyrinth, minotaurs, I mean, these are words that kids are going to grab onto and really learn a lot. And like you say, you kind of snuck some learning into this book. Yeah. I mean, each story uh, in the series kind of focuses on a different myth and the characters and their personalities and their motivations. And there is a, a ancient Greek expert who I, who vets each book and she will let me know if I'm wandering too far out of mythological territory. And even, uh, even if it does take a lot of poetic license at the back of each book, there's a section called truth behind the fiction that actually lays out the actual myth and the characters. So once the readers get to the back and we we've done, we're finished, uh, uh, and tricking them into learning a few things and they can actually <laughs> sit there and read the back of it and actually legit like, sit there and learn, learn more about Greek mythology. So, this, you know, it, it's, it's all part of National Geographic Kids' plan to kind of engage kids, keep them curious, make them wanting to learn more about the world and history and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but, and have fun doing it. Well, and I thought, too, I mean, when you mentioned about, you know, the, the Greek mythology expert who kind of vets your stories and you're making sure you've got all the right references, I had the pleasure of interviewing Becky Baines yesterday for the Almanac. And um, oh. in the acknowledgment section of your book, she was the one that actually suggested the name Mount Olympus Pet Center. Oh, yeah. She she came up with the, the world and, and a lot of the characters uh, for this series, and I've been, you know, I've been writing for her. She's my boss for a long time, nonfiction. And whenever they started to work on fiction projects, she asked if I would be interested, and I said, well, yeah, I'd love to, because I've been an avid reader since I was a kid. And so she kind of created this, the framework for this world, and just let me uh, play in it and 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 bring it to life and flesh everything out. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's her brainchild, and then uh, she turned turned the keys over to me. And, uh, no, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Well, speaking of fun, I mean, that must be a, a collaboration with all of you, you know, you people in that certain section of National Geographic, the National Geographic Kids Book section. But I bet there's a lot of interplay and, and you know, going back and forth and really enjoying what your, your project, your various projects are. Yeah, and you know, there's an illustrator that works on the books too, uh, illustrates all, all the, the, you know, the different adventures, and that's another layer of collaboration because the the way the story works is, you know, the animals think that they are in ancient Greece. So when they look at the aquariums, they see the ocean, or they look at a say like a floor fan, they see a hydra, five-headed monster. Uh, when they look at the robot vacuum, they see a ship that they travel around on. So the illustrator kind of bridges the gap between what's the real world, what, you know, you know, the pet center and what the animals see. So that's the, the next level of collaboration too, is, is kind of working with him to figure out how, how we're going to show all this stuff. <laughs> really? And I have to say, yeah, the, the illustrations are delightful. They add a lot to the story, but yeah, when you add that extra layer of how the animals are viewing their their surroundings and the pet shop, you know, physical surroundings, I bet that was actually extra tricky. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot 
uh, until we kind of establish the way the world works, um, and that uh, even even within the the text itself, whenever the animals are talking amongst themselves or, or on an adventure, everything around them is presented as ancient Greece. So uh, you know, a, a rack, a display of say uh, you know dog toys or something is will be a canyon or a mountainside that's covered with artifacts. But once it switches to the human's perspective, then it actually, you know, it'll just say that's, that's a display of dog, of chew toys or Frisbees or something. So it's, it's, it's uh, there's a lot of thought putting into that presentation and then, then getting, getting the illustrator to kind of bring it all to life. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of work, but I think now that we're into the second book and well, we're actually pretty far into the series, it's, uh, it's a well-oiled machine at this point. <laughs> Yes. Oh, that's right. I do want to make sure everybody knows there are going to be seven books in this entire series, right? Yes, that's that's the plan. Yeah, and at this point, it looks like it'll be one book will come out a year, and uh, it'll the, each book will focus on a different myth from Greek mythology, and I think you know, uh, young readers will be able to ex- expect all the hits like Medusa, or even you know. Some, maybe they don't know anything about Greek mythology. This is, this is their way to learn about the monsters and heroes and myths. And, and as you were saying, like, you know, for grandparents out there, it's a, it's a way to, to give a gift to, to their grandkids that kind of engages their curiosity. Um, and also, you know, in, in this day and age where grandparents and, and teachers are be, and parents are becoming teachers, it's a good way to kind of sneak in some yeah. education when the kids are, the kids are at home. Really, and of course, one of the best ways to educate or you know share information is if you can, if the kids actually find it engaging, and I can guarantee they will. And Crispin, just you had mentioned earlier that you were an avid reader your whole life as a kid, uh, but I would imagine this requires a little bit of research on your part, and then you must come up with these just super creative ways. To, I mean, do you do you start laughing out loud sometimes when you're writing this? These kinds of stories. <laughs> Uh, once in a while, yeah, and, and uh, you know, now that and my wife works from home too, she might think I'm losing my mind. But uh, <laughs> uh, a lot, a lot of it is, a lot of it is just staring at the wall until I, until we figure something out. Um, uh, you know, because you know, the challenge is say, let's say, take a monster like Medusa, which in mythology is this demon with snake for snakes for hair and her, her gaze will freeze you on the spot. Then I have to translate that into some kind of object or animal or something within the pet center. So it's kind of figuring out a way to translate these, these monsters and these locations and, and these uh, artifacts and everything into the animal's world. And, and uh, uh, you know, when I feel like I've finally figured it out, and of course, you know, I work with my editors too, and they're, they're a huge help uh, in, in bouncing ideas off each other. And sometimes, you know, something doesn't work and there's always lots of revision, but um, yeah, in the end, I, I feel like we, we get, uh, we get something that um, kind of works in the world of ancient Greece and works within the world of a pet center, a pet rescue center. And works in the world of a child's mind and a grandparent's mind. No, Crispin, this yes. has been so much fun getting to know you, and I really congratulate you on, on this wonderful series. Obviously, you've had a lot of success with your nonfiction uh, National Geographic Kids book. So what are your hopes that you would like your readers to take away? I know that's a big question, but from the Zeus the Mighty <laughs> series. Well, I think it, my hope is that they just find uh, a channel into this world. I mean, the you know the National Geographic they know that kids have a lot of uh, distractions and, and 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 lots of things competing for their attention from you know video games to videos online to websites. So with 
the Zeus series, they kind of incorporated all of that. So, you know, if they went to ZeusTheMighty.com, they would actually find a, a little game they could play that's based on it. They would find a podcast uh, that gives more information on the myths. They would find little tidbits about the animals in it or, you know, just little threads to, to get into the the story and then kind of engage the, the curiosity. And really, yeah, that's that's the goal is just for, for kids to stay curious and want to explore their world. Well, obviously you have achieved that, Crispin. So, again, congratulations. This has been a treat for me, and I really appreciate your time, your wonderfully creative ideas, and, of course, sharing this amazing book with us. Oh, thank you so much. Really, it was a real pleasure to talk with you. Well, back at you, Kristen, <laughs> and I urge all of our listeners out there, especially you grandpas and grand, grand, grannies and grandpas, please check out Zeus the Mighty series. Uh, we'll be looking forward to the rest of the books, but the maze of the menacing minotaur is going to engage your imagination and that of your grandchildren. And just like Crispin was saying, it'll also sneak in some learning uh, and also refresh our own memories of some of the Greek mythology that we may have forgotten over the years. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio. Say, and I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.